Hey everyone, just a heads up before we begin. If you check the description of this episode, you should find a link to a photo album with relevant pictures to what we're talking about. Hope you enjoy. Hello everyone. Sorry for the wait, but we are back this week with episode 13 of the Moogles and Mages podcast. Thank you very much for your patience because, man, have these last two weeks been last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I am Dan, your residential sprout, the knower of not many things, FF14. <laughs> I am here with the chief officer of FF14 Information Incorporated, Cody. <laughs> You need to give yourself a bit of credit, though, because y you know things now that I guarantee you some other people playing don't. Thanks to you, I, I would definitely consider myself an enjoyer of FF14 now. <laughs> and right. that is something that, you know, three months ago, I, I definitely wouldn't have seen coming. You know, having heard so much about the game, I figured, okay, cool, it's a neat game. Hmm. Uh, apparently it has this super in-depth story-rich <laughs> yeah. world. Let me bust out my lore grimoire. <laughs> Precisely. And, and Cody, you're going to learn me some FF14 today, right? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about... Uh, it's unfair to call her a controversial figure, but I feel like a lot of people kind of judge uh, this character unfairly. Hmm. We're going to be talking about the leader of the Scions of the Seventh Dawn. Oh. A young woman named Minfilia Ward. Minfilia. I, I think when, back when I made a Reddit post, I believe somebody was really interested in hearing about her in particular. Yeah. It, her backstory, a lot of it comes in 1.0. So it's not like players coming into the game now, you really see like her as this almost like a nagging guild leader that she you're like well god why doesn't she do anything she's just always telling me to do stuff and then she has these damsel in distress moments and it's like ugh but uh she has a much more important story in the past like she's actually a fairly capable mm. person so her story begins way way back uh when she was just a child and her father uh, a man named warburton he was a garlean spy in occupied alamigo oh so was he just trying to catch wind of any riots or something that would be coming up maybe but the thing is he was a double agent Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, in reality, Warburton was allied with the Alamegan Resistance. He was stealing Imperial research, in particular stuff about primals. Mm. And he was compiling all this information, and eventually he found enough was enough, and he said, I've got the information I need, I'm going to flee alamigo mm -hmm. and i'm gonna take my daughter asilia with me notice not minfilia right she was born as asilia ward 
Okay, so I'm assuming going from the transition of, <laughs> or escaping from being their spy <laughs> from the Gorlean Empire. Okay, maybe an identity change could be helpful. You know, it is, but her father wasn't the one who did it. Okay, so how did she get the name change? We'll get there. Oh, so, fine, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so they flee Alamigo, and his plan is to go to Ulda. Because it's close by, and it's not Gridania. The Gridanians <laughs> really don't like the Alamegans that much. Hmm. Because Alamegans are primarily pirateers, I guess? <laughs> It was more that prior to the occupation of Alamigo, they were led by a king, uh, the Mad King Theodoric. Mad King? Oh man, was he poaching all those wood whales? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he absolutely was. (laughs) And they were sort of, when Alamigo was sort of expanding westward, uh... They clashed with the uh, Gridanians quite a bit over resources. Mm. Um, there was a point where the Alamegans went to them and they were like, hey, can you, you know, give us some wood and stuff? And the Gridanians said, sorry, Elementals said no. So the Alamegans said, that's fine, we'll just take it. And that didn't really end well for the Alamegans. <laughs> <laughs> Not really worth it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, bad, bad things happened. It, it was actually known as uh, the Autumn War. Oh, so it was a full-blown war against the Elementals? Oh, oh yeah, it was bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to go on another assumption here and think that it's not really much of a war so much as Alamigo getting its butt whooped really bad by the <laughs> literal gods of the nature. So it was actually under... This was Alamigo under the rule of a man named King Manfred. Mm. And they had a bunch of, like, inconclusive fights where they would just skirmish and neither side would really win. Uh-huh. Until one of the Alamigan commanders fell ill and his replacement oh wait no my bad sorry one of the gridanians commanders fell ill and his replacement led a uh, a massive assault Mm -hmm. and that was not good (laughs) they were like this is not gonna work you guys are gonna rush in and, and get murdered and then the shroud will fall to alamigo so the elementals just telling the Gridanians to fight the Alamegans? I actually don't know if the elementals were even telling them to. But it could have very well been that the Gridanians were just worried about the wrath of the elementals should they claim that wood. Right. Because if they didn't do this, then certainly the elementals could be all, well, you let that happen. Mm-hmm. And they would suffer the wood wrath. Oh, that sucks for the Gridanians, man. Sucks more for the Alamegans, because out of <laughs> their, their desire to protect themselves, Ishgard was like, hey, these guys are going to invade Gridania, and if it falls, they're coming for us next. So they were like, Ulda, Limsa, you guys need to protect your bros, right? 
<laughs> and Alamigo ran into the full force of the Aorzean Alliance, and that was it. And that's when Mad King Theodoric took over, and then there was a civil war, and then that's when they got invaded by Garlemald. Holy cow, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, Alamigo was just such a weakened state at that point. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, controls to, and then... And then... <laughs> back to uh, back to Warburton here. So he flees, he goes to Ulda. And they arrive in Ulda on the day of a parade. So he and Asilia are wandering through the crowd. They're trying to find their way to the right people for Warburton to hand over this information when the catastrophic happens. There's a beast in the parade known as a gubu. <laughs> I know, right? Now you're thinking of fubu fish. Have I ever shown you a gubu? I've never heard of this thing in my life, too. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> Gubus are what I kind of call moss giants. <laughs> Oh my god, I love him so much. Yeah, so, you know, you look at a gubu and you're like, look at those beady little eyes. They're, they're... okay, for anyone who's not seen a gubu, these things are mammoth. They're, they're like, you know, 12, 15 feet tall, uh, gray skin, they're just kind of blob shaped. They got these long ass noodle arms. <laughs> And really tiny little legs. And he's got like a little salamander head. Yeah, and they're so like, you know, slow and, and calm that plants will grow on their back. And you you think, <laughs> what's that thing gonna do? Here's the thing, though. You need to understand that Gubus have a voracious appetite. Oh my god, it's literally just Salamander Man, the person salamanders are such good like vicious eaters too really oh yeah okay dude you, you put anything in front of their face they'll start gnawing on it they're like bullfrogs <laughs> well maybe that's part of the inspiration for a gubu because you need to see one open their mouth <gasps> oh dear god <laughs> not cute <laughs> <laughs> their their mouths are like 80% of their face. It's it's massive. And they have three <laughs> rows of vicious teeth. So, yeah, they're cuddly moss giants until they're hungry and you look like a snack. I love these. These are my favorite monsters right now. <laughs> I'd like to point out that the picture I sent you is a blatant lie. Because the name of that enemy is Mossless Gubu, but it obviously has moss growing on it. That is a lot of moss. I see a couple leaves, a little, little sprouts there. <laughs> uh, before we leave, the Gubu. <laughs> Gubu. If, if anyone has the opportunity to go ahead now or after the podcast, go on to YouTube and look up Run Boy Run FF14. Oh, yeah! <laughs> that was the, the first the time that I've ever seen these. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little Gubu. So, so uh, Gubu just appears in this place? Well, it was part of the parade. It was supposed to be under the control of its handler. But the problem is that there's a bit of a conspiracy going on. 
You see, the handler of this Gubu, a man named... Um, I, Okay, I'm mixing up two characters in my head. Neil Frayne. He's an Elizan named Neil Frayne. Mm-hmm. And his lover, a Makota named Flamin. They were planning on releasing this thing willingly so that it would start running rampant. And then they would go and put the beast down and oh. gain political power. <laughs> that they would be the heroes of the day, you know? Right. That doesn't make that much sense to me. It Wouldn't their handler have to be close? Wouldn't someone know that they were the handler? Mm. Yeah, you'd think. You'd think they would regard it as your failure rather than your triumph. But this thing gets loose, and before anyone can stop it, it nearly tramples Acilia. Ooh. So her father jumps out to protect her, and suffers fatal wounds. Oh, uh, yeah. You mentioned 15, 20 feet tall. These things are kind of like the the Titans from Attack on Titan, but, you know, yeah. salamander-like. And they're, the thing is, like, even if they don't bite you, those weird noodle arms, right, they'll just slap you with them. Ah. Uh. So you can imagine that, it's, you know, it's this giant thing, and it's got a whip for an arm. Yeah, so it's kind of wiry, it's too. It's gonna cause some damage. So this thing attacks Warburton before it is defeated. It is actually stopped by a man we might know, a guy named Thancred Waters. Uh, I, I know of Thancred. Mm-hmm. I know he's supposed to be devilishly handsome right now. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is a actually a major part of Menphilia's storyline. Hmm. So he actually aids in stopping the Gubu, but there's nothing they can do for Warburton. Before we go on, what I know about Thancred right now, you said that he's a, um, was it not Blade Dancer, the, the Charge Blade? Uh, Gunblade. <laughs> I'm thinking Monster Hunter, yeah, the Gunblade. <laughs> so yeah. he's a Gunblade, but he can't use magic. So as of Shadowbringers, he cannot use magic and he is a uh, Gunbreaker. Um, but at this point in the storyline, uh, he's just a young rogue. Okay, gotcha. Still, you know, fully capable of channeling ether, just like everybody else. So, Acilia, having her father, you know, killed in front of her, she's naturally distraught. And she's taken in by a kind Makota who happens to be there, named Flamin. Oh. One of the women who was, you know, the woman who was responsible for releasing the beast in the first place. Right. I imagine there so might be a little bit of regret there. super guilty, right? She feels super guilty about it. And before she can take Acilia into her care, uh, Acilia is actually taken by another man named Courgevay. This poor girl is just, like, nonstop damsel in distress, and she's a child, right? Oh. Like, her mur- her father's murdered in front of her, and she's just being kidnapped. Oh no, dude. Courgevay is wanting to take her back to Alamigo. Hmm. I, 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 yeah, I mean, you, you could assume that there's some other family there or something. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so so Courgevay wants to take her there, but a lot of things go wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, people accuse him of releasing the Gubu. Um, so he flees. He's still got her. Uh, out of retreat, he blows this horn that uh, summons a bunch of monsters to try and, you know, cover his escape. <laughs> no! Yeah, it's, it's really something. <laughs> so, hang on, so this guy's plan from the start. All right, I got a monster. I'm going to set him loose just a little bit. Just just a little bit of carnage. Just from just a second of carnage. Just a smidge. And then I'll get him. All right, monster kills people. Oh, crap, they think I'm a bad guy now. Let me get a couple more summon, monsters. Better summon more monsters. <laughs> so the the things that he calls are another horrifying creature. Um, these are known as coblins. Coblins look like... God, I hate them. They're like a mouth with a bunch of tentacles. And they're also covered in rocks. Okay, hang on. I got this. I got this. Crystal Jar Jar Binks octopus. <laughs> you know that guy from <laughs> Ah Real Monsters that holds his eyeballs? <laughs> yeah. It's like that, except much more tentacly. Yeah, it's almost like a hermit crab with a crystal shell behind him. Well, they eat ore. Oh. So they're going to make that, that shell naturally, just from what they eat. That's cool. So I, they are um, kind of. I would hate to live in a world with this thing. yeah me too uh so you know those things are slapping the shit out of him and uh, it's it's really bad oh how could i have first not foreseen this coming (laughs) yeah so flamin actually shows up they've been chasing this guy flamin shows up and actually shields menphilia from all these blows Mm. you know she falls unconscious and this is sort of like a bonding moment, I guess, where Minfilia's like, you know, you did something bad to my father, but... Well, actually, Minfilia doesn't know at this point, but she's mm, but, like... But it plants that seed. Yeah, that she's like, you know, you're not, you know, evil, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, she sort of becomes a surrogate mother for Minfilia. Huh. Which is... She's played off as as if she's this, like, grandma. <laughs> like, I'll show you a picture of, of Acilia, or not Acilia, of um, Flamin. But, um, you know, th- this is how she appears in the beginning. Where she's just this Makota with, like, white hair. Yeah, she's she... known as the Songstress of Ulda. Yeah, she looks young and spry as any other Makota. Right. And later in the game when she's reintroduced and she's, you know, introduced to you as Minfilia's mother, they dress her like this. <laughs> Just full anime mom, right? Like she's wearing like a, an apron and a pink dress and it's it's very anime mom. The puffy sleeves, the boots. Yeah. She's She's 37. You know... More power to her. She's not that old. She's rocking the life that she wants, you know? 
(laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They do this with Thancred, too. They play Thancred off as if he's this old man, but, like, he's 32. We really? Yeah. (laughs) He's 32, man. It, it's i don't know man he's not that old look i'm i'm almost 32 it's not fair <laughs> i would love to look like thankred at 32 <laughs> right exactly let me be the the ladies man of olda <laughs> to, you know to be fair there we do know that in ff14 there's that weird time thing going on where all this takes place over the span of a oh, year yeah, somehow there's yeah. some weird time stuff for sure so Flamin and actually Thancred sort of take a bit of a um, parenting role for Minfilia mm-hmm. when she's really young after all this has been, you know, settled. Um, but Thancred is sort of absent from her life quite a bit because he's kind of just going around being uh, being a lady killer. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they talk about how he can often be found at the nearby tavern with a woman on each arm. I, I can't blame him. He's handsome. <laughs> but as Minfilia gets older, she sort of has this, like, I don't know how to put it, drive, like her father, mm. to, to do better. Um, and she finds out as she gets old enough that she actually has the echo. Oh, now she can hear Heidelin's voice. By do better, do you mean do good for humanity, kind of better, or do yeah. better than yourself before? A bit of both. Because once she mm. learns she has the echo, she has that feeling of like you know, I have this gift. I need to use it. Oh, yeah. I mean, how can you get that and not feel like you've been made for this? Mm -hmm. So she, at a very young age, uh, forms this group. Like, I think she's actually not even 18 yet. She forms a group known as the Path of the Twelve. And the Path of the Twelve is built to... Find people that have the echo. Oh, interesting. And use that ability to bring peace to Eorzea. Right. Yeah. This kind of works, but it kind of doesn't. She wants it to work, but Eorzea is not really easily changed. Mm, right. So her, her plan is... Because we have the Echo, we can communicate with the Beast Tribes. And because we can communicate with Beast Tribes, maybe we can solve the primal issue through diplomacy. Because nobody else can speak to them, right? Oh, to the... Not willingly. To the Beast Tribes? If they speak a different language than you, and all you know is violence... They're not going to uh, teach you your language. Right. It's like one of those tribes that hasn't really made contact with us in real life yet. It's just this yeah. foreign person that you can't communicate with. Yeah. So she, um, you know, with the Echo, they can solve that problem. The Echo ha- lets you communicate like that. Uh, so she's like, why don't we reach out for diplomacy? And that is not received very well. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, both the Eorzeans sort of look at it like, 
this is not right. You know, you shouldn't be talking to them. They're monsters. They fight us. They summon gods and they kill us. <laughs> Why are you trying to make peace? That's a good point. It's it's fair. <laughs> it's fair. And then the the Garleans even see this and they're like, oh, so now the Eorzeans have become heretics, you know? <laughs> they're more than just savages at this point. So they they realize that they they that this isn't working and they find that you know defeating the garlean empire is not possible mm. how do they bring peace to eorzea we need to find something bigger we need to turn to hydalin right after all your speakers are with hydalin or you can at least hear hydalin mm-hmm Unfortunately, Menphilia didn't really get the chance. The calamity happened first. Oh, the uh, wait, which one? Be- with Behemoth, or not? Yeah, not Behemoth, Bahamut. <laughs> yeah, with Bahamut. The calamity happened first, but Menphilia survived. You know, her story doesn't end there. She. It's believed that Flamen died. That's not true. Um, (laughs) but she you know she failed but she's not broken wait so when she died was was she still in the like young mother mode and then she reappears later as grandmom yes yes (laughs) yes exactly when she turns 18 she is met in a tavern by Thancred. And he gives her two gifts. One is a dagger. Oh. Because the streets of Uldar are dangerous for a young woman. There are people like him roaming around. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Thancred is nothing if not honest, at least. <laughs> but two, a letter. A letter from Thancred's mentor, a man named Louis-Sois Levoyeur. Whoa, okay. It turns out, Thancred is not just some common rogue. He's actually a member of the Circle of Knowing. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> the Circle of Knowing. The Circle of Knowing is a group of 12 researchers known as Archons. These guys are Charleans, so all of them are very well educated, Mm -hmm. and all of them are considered masters of something. In order to Mm. become an Archon, you have to approach the Charlean Council, and you have to deliver a speech about your chosen thing and they have to accept you as an archon you have to have a thesis but you have to memorize it and speak (laughs) it so you know thangrid's outward appearance really hides this deeply intelligent man oh what you're right i just realized so he's an archon huh thangrid is an archon yes what did he master in I want to say it was actually like wilderness survival or something. (laughs) That is not what I would have expected. 
I have to. I have to. Fu- yeah, here it is. Survival and intelligence gathering. Okay, I, I could see the intelligence gathering part of it. Yeah, that, that part makes sense. When he was a kid, he tried to rob Louis Swa, and Louis Swa caught him. But instead of turning him into the guard, Louis Swa said, "Why don't you come with me and use your talents for the greater good?" After seeing the cinematic with Louis Swa, Thankford is lucky he didn't get evaporated <laughs> by him. <laughs> the world's most powerful grandpa. Yeah, right. you're right. So he, you know, Thankford gives her this letter uh, from Louis Swa and. It reads about how he knows that she has the echo, to which she's pretty surprised, considering that uh, Thankrub is not supposed to tell anyone. Mm. And she's like, you're not supposed to tell anybody. How did you, why did you do this? And Thankrub's, you know, ensuring her that Louis-Swa is trustable. But more importantly, Louis-Swa believes that we are in danger he believes that there is a coming calamity Mm. and he needs help and he wants her to help him he believes that he needs the echo because louis swan doesn't have it okay he wants her to join with him and the rest of the circle of knowing and try to do what the path was supposed to do, but better. The path being... Uh, the path of the Twelve. the Her initial attempt. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Yeah. And she agrees. And this is when she really starts to take up that appropriate leader role. She's honestly pretty good at it, considering how the Scions are uh, relatively successful, even before... The warrior of light joins them mm, i mean as young as she is it sounds like she had to really grow up fast especially like she's younger than the other scions too but she's probably gone through more than most of them mm. the path of the 12 and the circle of knowing then combine and become the scions of the seventh dawn oh so she already had a couple of people in her group huh she had the these people known as like like path walkers or something like that path companions some of them were bound to have survived but most of them aren't named so i'm not sure gotcha so maybe just a couple members like what we saw with um that elizin lady and edith's story Lady and Edith's story. How it was just, you know, like a member of the Scion that they weren't really oh, a name. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 right. You're right. It's not Ida, it's, uh, Edda. Oh, Edda, Cause, yeah. Because there's another character named Ida, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have me thrown off. <laughs> so let's just briefly talk about the other members and the Circle of Knowing a little bit, because they're the ones that just hooked up, right? So Louis Swaff formed the circle of knowing to sort of wake people up to the danger that they were in and try to save Eorzea. So one thing that he wanted to do was travel to the various states of Eorzea and reestablish the grand companies, which were the uh, 
their major military forces. And he was doing this in preparation for a Garlean invasion. Oh. Which is, he was right. <laughs> That's what led, that is what led to um, Bahamut. Yeah, yeah. On a side note, I just kind of pictured, it would make sense to keep this group a little on the low key, considering, I imagine your average commoner probably doesn't think very much about previous calamities let alone know about them and so being told doomsday is approaching we have to do everything we can <laughs> uh, you know maybe maybe not when was the last calamity like i don't know two thousand years ago Pff, okay but sure thing okay I-, I wouldn't even think that many of the commoners of eorzea would even know what charlayan was that's right, isn't it? Like an island that's far off to the side? Yeah, so so he'd be like, I'll have you know I'm an esteemed Charlayan researcher. And they're like, okay, bro. I, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, I got a cousin from there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Circle of Knowing, 12 people, although there are more Archons than the Circle of Knowing. Everyone in the circle is an Archon, but not all Archons are in the circle. <laughs> Roger. Okay. So you have Louis Waugh, obviously. Yashtola. Mm. Our resident cat girl. Uh, I don't know what her thing was for her to become an Archon. Oh, right. Like her, her focus. Yeah, but Yashtola is very good at, um, I think it's called Etherology. Like, the the study of, like, the flow of ether and stuff like that. So she would probably be involved in that. Yeah. And then you have Ida Hext. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ida Hext is a Alamegan refugee who joined the Circle of Knowing. She fled to Charleian after the fall of Alamego and wound up becoming an Archon there. Uh, She is a very close companion to another member of the Circle of Knowing named... Papalimo. I feel like I know that name. Uh, Papalimo Totolimo. We've talked about him a little bit because of his ultimate fate, but I mentioned him in brief. Okay, gotcha. They're an interesting pair, Papalimo and Ida, because Papalimo is very serious and studious. He's actually sort of like almost Louis Soi's successor to a degree. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, I, I, there's a point where he actually carries his staff. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess some, somebody should after what happens at the Calamity. But he, you know, he's very good. Louis Swa considers him his finest pupil. He's serious, by the books, super polite, always like that. And then you put him with Ida. And Ida is blunt and carefree and she just punches people she's a monk (laughs) ida is a a punch first forget you were supposed to ask questions (laughs) profit (laughs) (laughs) and she's really an oddball because when you talk to her you really don't get the feeling that she's even an archon. <laughs> You're just like, this lady? 
this lady went to Charlayan? Okay. They'll okay. let anybody in Charlayan nowadays. Sure thing. Okay. No no problem. Then we have uh, Thancred, our boy. We have Yorianger, the cryptic Jojo posing Elizen. I'm sorry, could you repeat that name again? His name is Yorianger Augerel. Oh, Nelly. Okay. Or Augeret. Augeret is probably more accurate. Yorianger Augeret. Yeah. He is uh, extremely intelligent. He loves to do research. He's more at home in a bunch of books than he is anywhere else. The problem is that he's very bad at speaking to people. <laughs> and the problem is he's reading too much JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> Dude, he poses. He poses. Hang on. I'll, I'll, I'll find you a picture of one of his poses. Here you go. Th th this is during a quest in Heavensward. <laughs> hang on hang on enhance this image zoom in a little bit more right. enhance again yeah episode 57 of jojo's bizarre adventure right there yeah <laughs> that's just him he's a jojo posing uh dork he's very much a dork which is a very lovable nerd and he starts he, he becomes an astrologian later and, oh uh, yeah that's right you, you see him he'll hold cards out and do his crazy posing like a Yu-Gi-Oh character <laughs> he's anime the guy you know that thing of um I think it's from the office of the the like why use one word or lot word when one <laughs> word do trick yeah. or whatever Urianger is the opposite he speaks in like archaic like like Shakespearean prose Oh, he's like one of those guys on Yahoo Answers that just busts up the thesaurus for every single response, <laughs> trying to max out the characters. Like, th this is a quote from him describing another character. He says, He that holdeth fast unto his convictions shall never count betrayal amongst his crimes, though all the world may call him villain. My path is unchanged, my creed sacrosanct. This I believe with all my heart. All the while, I'm just picturing Ida going ahead and punching out four dudes <laughs> while he's going over that one sentence. <laughs> that, that's everything he says. He's great. I love him. <laughs> and then there's two characters that a lot of people don't really... You don't see that much of. They're in the main story, but they're kind of off. You have a Rugadan woman named Moonbrida. She is another etheric expert like uh, Yashtola. Oh. And then you have an archaeologist named Rambrose. Whoa, an archaeologist, huh? Mm-hmm. Rambrose is actually a part of another group known as the Sons of St. Koinak. And they are excavating Alag. Oh, okay. so he hangs out in Mordona and digs up chunks of a fallen empire all day. I could see why. If if you're in archaeology, that place is a gold mine. Mm, absolutely. So Minfilia becomes the leader of this group, right? And it's like, how is she qualified for this? But she makes it work. The 
Silence of the Seventh Dawn sort of become this supplementary military to the Grand Companies. Mm. You have a bunch of highly skilled fighters who are incredibly knowledgeable about primals and ether and all this stuff. Not to mention that they're finding people who have the Echo. They're very useful in the fight against uh, the Beast Tribes. Right, right. And she finds the Warrior of Light as well. And the Warrior of Light joins them. But one of the reasons that people have problems with Menphilia is... Like, she gets kidnapped, like, twice. (laughs) And a lot of bad things happen when she gets kidnapped. So she's not the most martially adept person there is, is. Minfilia is not a fighter. She's a leader. (laughs) There's the jokes of her, like, contacting you by by Link Shell, which is like a walkie-talkie, and just saying, pray, return to the waking sands which is their sort of headquarters. Mm-hmm. And you'll do that 15 times in a row, even coming from all the way across the continent. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Return to the waking sands. You uh, know, it's pretty refreshing to have a leader character that's not a super skilled warrior. Because mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I, I love the the whole leader-mentor thing, like what you get with Avatar The Last Airbender. And, oh my god, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Uh, Uncle Iroh. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love Uncle Iroh. But at the same time, it's really nice to have someone where they get to show why they're this badass character without needing to whoop somebody down. (laughs) She, She becomes more important as the story goes on. And I feel like this is part of the people's issues with her. But while Mm. we're talking about her story, I'm just going to go forward and talk about Menphilia's roles in uh, both Heavensward and Shadowbringers. Okay. I'm just going to cut them kind of out of the, the parts of those expansions. And when we talk about it, we'll cover it again. But... I think it helps to get this full picture of Menphilia and why people sort of have this weird feeling about her. Yeah, not just leave it at, okay, kidnapped. Yeah. So, like, when she gets kidnapped by the Garleans in A Realm Reborn, basically all the Scions in the Waking Sands, like, everyone who's not a combat person just gets murdered. Oh. So she's already got a body count there. And then later she gets captured by an Asian, and her being captured by an Asian is where what leads to us learning how to kill them, which is good. Whoa, I, I didn't know there was anything special about how, how to kill them. Oh, yeah. Did I not cover that? Oh, my bad. No. Okay, so this is off topic, but we ramble. The way to kill an Asian, if you just kill one, their sort of corporeal form will just sort of disintegrate. And thanks to their connection to Zodiac, rather than going back to the life stream, they get pulled back to him. Oh. And then they just reform and do it again. Okay, gotcha. So they can be killed, albeit very difficultly. They're difficult. They're, they're powerful sorcerers. Uh, but they just come back. Huh. So, do they need some 
person some shell for their soul to enter back into? Or do they just manifest into themselves again? They just pop up. <laughs> they're, they're basically just beings of ether. Okay, so do you just need a thingamajig to use and You need kill a them? Ghostbusters trap, basically. <laughs> a toaster. <laughs> there, there's a thing called white orosite. And it can contain monstrous amounts of ether. Uh, so such the idea as... is just to sort of stab them with it. <laughs> and it, <laughs> you just sort of soak all their ether up into that. And then channel a massive blast of energy into the etherite to destroy it. <laughs> you just... <laughs> you mosquito them to death. Yeah. <laughs> and then you crush a mosquito. Like, it's like putting them in a pokeball... And then throwing that into the sun. (laughs) How quaint. I love it. Yeah, that's the only way to do it. But learning that comes at the cost of other people's lives. Mm. So there's this recurring thing of just people dying for Minfilia. Right, right. And uh, of course, as the player, up until you start seeing the aftermath... All of this is just on our hands with nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it kind of gets worse for her, too, when at the end of A Realm Reborn, when everything's going down, Menvilia hears the voice of Hydaelyn. And Hydaelyn says, I have something for you to do. I need you to go to your friend Yustola. She doesn't tell her why. But she just says, just be there. It's important. Oh, okay. And Yustola, in an effort to save herself and Thancred, casts Flow. Oh, right. Menphilia gets caught up in the spell, putting her in the life stream. But instead of coming out of it, like Thancred or Yustola... She actually gets plucked out of it by Heidelin herself. Whoa, okay. And Heidelin says, I want you to become my speaker. (laughs) So we get a profit out of Menphilia. Mm hmm. She says, Heidelin says, My power is waning, and I cannot interact, you know, physically with the world. But through you, I can. The downside to this is that Menphilia is no longer really Menphilia at this point. No? She becomes, she sort of calls herself, or they call her the Word of the Mother. And she's Menphilia, but she's also kind of Hydaelyn at this point. Oh, gotcha. So she loses herself to make room for mm-hmm. Hydaelyn. And Thancred takes that really hard a lot of people have this conception that uh, Thancred like romantically loves Menphilia Um, and I'm not going to tell you you're wrong but I disagree (laughs) I don't really get that impression from what you told me I get the feeling that he kind of looks at her like a, a little sister and you know losing her is like he failed he failed to protect her and he takes that extremely hard. Oh, and there was nothing he could do about it. God summoned her. Yeah, she was chosen <laughs> by God. 
So then she, you know, she tacks up this chosen one. Uh, Sorry, I just realized it, it, since I mentioned Avatar: The Last Airbender, it's kind of like when Sokka falls in love with Yue. <laughs> And then spoilers for uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, three, two, one. Uh, she is, she becomes the moon. So That's bye bye, girlfriend. <laughs> That's real funny. <laughs> man, that, that really is rough though, man. I Yeah. But the thing is, it kind of just gets worse. Jeez, really? Um, because... You know, Thancred's beating himself up, and he he can't protect her, and she kind of just disappears from everyone after we talked to her that last time. But she comes back in Shadowbringers. She's absent for um, Stormblood, but she comes back in Shadowbringers. Oh, for a whole expansion, huh? Yeah. And she's been given an extremely important task. Basically, the world of the first is being overtaken by a flood of light. Huh. And a group of adventurers from that world had petitioned Hydaelyn for help. And answering their prayers was the word of the mother. She shows up on the first, and she stops the flood of light herself. How does she do that? She absorbs all of that excess light energy into herself whoa okay so when she has a little bit of hydaelyn in her hydaelyn's like a booster pack for her like, oh yeah <laughs> okay but this is kind of the end of minfilia you don't just do that and walk away unscathed oh okay gotcha yeah and i will talk about like her ultimate fate and what happens with her there but um She's pretty much inextricably bound to the first now. So, you know, the price you pay for accepting the word of of Hydaelyn is uh, being bound to a dying realm. So has she done any other good being the word of Hydaelyn? Really? All she's involved in is a storyline in Heaven's Word um, that we'll, we'll cover, but it's known as the Warriors of Darkness arc. She she's involved in that, uh, and that directly leads to uh, her being on the first. So we kind of lose track of her after she becomes the word of the mother. That's um, awful. I mean, she she gives up so much for everyone else in the world, only to kind of be lost in the cracks. Yeah, pretty much. And it, there was a feel that she was. There was a feeling that, that they were doing that as a result of the lack of interest in her character. That they were like, let's find a way to to write her out. Mm. But I feel like that kind of doesn't do Minfilia justice. No, no. It just makes her, her story even more sad. She's been fighting for the peace of Eorzea since the start. From the Path of the Twelve to the Circle of Knowing, the Scions. This has been her endgame the whole time. I really hope in the next expansion that maybe they bring up some pieces of things that she was working on when she was just gone. I that would be very nice. Unfortunately, that's all I really have to say 
about Minfilia um, <laughs> until we talk about Shadowbringers. Um, when we talk about then, that's when we'll get some more of her and uh, a bit of her character development. But uh, I like the solemn yeah, stories, man. Not many people know about, you know, Warburton and Thancred and Flamine and like her troubled youth and the the path of the twelve is like non-existent troubled youth is one way to put it <laughs> look man your dad gets murdered by a big jelly bean with whip arms and then <laughs> bad things happen that's rough buddy <laughs> <laughs> that is rough yeah, well before we log off I, I wanted to take a moment just to let everyone in the audience know that with uh, having taken a week off, I didn't realize how much time of my life was going into this podcast <laughs> until I, I had a moment to breathe. And uh, I, I think for my own mental health with, with editing and everything, uh, we're going to start posting every two weeks from now. So I don't expect that we're going to have another lapse. And I, we greatly appreciate you guys being patient with us for that week. And yeah, I, I'm excited to keep looking more and more into the main story here, man. This is yeah. a great setup for me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to uh, some of the some of the expansion storylines are really something. There's some parts of Stormblood and uh, Heavensward that I am itching to tell you about. I think you'll <laughs> like it. Excellent. Well, everyone, I hope that you have a wonderful day, and thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.